troubles in this current world that we live in. Uh, we read about and hear in the news about terrorist attacks, uh, not only in other foreign destinations, but even here in our own country, terrorists have attacked. Of course, our economy and the world economy at large is just reeling. Despite the claims from Washington in this election year, things are still pretty bad, and the, the indications are that they're not going to improve dramatically real quick. There's definitely a lot of political unrest. We've heard about governments being toppled in various places in the world. Uh, morality, no doubt, is declining. Uh, all manner of, of statistics would indicate just how bad the morals of the world are becoming. We live in an age of materialism. People want things, they want money and the things money can buy, they want instant gratification. Religiously, uh, people have become more and more liberally inclined, even to the point that a few years ago, uh, people were arguing about whether or not homosexuality was a sin or not, whether, pe whether people could be admitted into the membership of various denominations if they were practicing homosexuals. Well, the debate now, that debate's long over. Now the debate has been, can we name clergy members in these various denominations who are practicing homosexuality? And on and on and on it goes. What we're saying is the world is in a mess. That's no news to you, is it? But we know that it's certainly true. It's very disturbing, and lots of information is available. It talks about the sorry state of the world in so many different regards. The unfortunate thing, though, is that all of that trouble that we were just sort of briefly commenting about, all of that sort of trouble has impact upon those who identify themselves as Christians. In fact, the Bible tells us that conditions in the world can reach to us and turn us in the wrong direction. Let me give you one statement from the Scripture that illustrates how the world can get a hold of those who have even been faithful in serving the Lord. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. This man Demas, earlier references to him by the Apostle Paul, indicated him to be a faithful co-worker with Paul. But now, he's departed. Reason why? Because of the present world. The present world reached out, got him, and adversely affected him in, service to, in his service to God. And so, what we're saying is, certainly, the world is a, a, a troubled place, and it, it poses potential trouble for us who are trying to serve God. For a few minutes this morning, what we want to talk about is living in this hostile world. This is a hostile place for us spiritually. If we're going to do the will of God, if we're going to be faithful to Him, if we're going to serve as we should... This is a hard place to do it. It's a hostile world. How can we succeed and what can we learn? What can we remember as we approach living in this hostile world? That's going to be our study for a few minutes this morning. Thanks for being here. We're grateful for the presence of each and every one. We have visitors. We're glad that you've come. We want you to come back when you can. We'd be open to your questions from the Bible or questions about what we're doing here at College U. As we labor together here at this place, we're trying to follow the Bible carefully. We're trying to have book, chapter, and verse authority for the things that we do. We're trying to be a church like the church you read about in the pages of your New Testament. 
Now, we're not saying we're perfect in that endeavor by any means, but that's our goal. That's what we're striving for. And so if you ask us a question, why do you do it that way? We'll try to give you a Bible answer. If you find out that we're wrong and that, that, you, that you find out that we have not been carefully adhering to the Word of God, please bring that to our attention. Because if we're wrong, we want to change. We want to do things right. We believe it is the way that we glorify God by serving Him faithfully according to His Word. Thanks for being here this morning. We appreciate you very much. As we're living in this present world, what kind of things do we need to keep in mind? Well, the first observation is a simple one, and that is that we're not the first people to, ch to face challenges from the world that we live in. I think it's very easy for us to imagine that we live in the worst of all possible times. Nobody ever had it like we've got it. We're facing such hardships and difficulty because the world is so wicked. Boy, it's just, it's just awful. Maybe even we use that as an excuse to let down and not work as hard in our service to God. We should never think that. We live in a bad time, and we've been talking about that already in our lesson. Certainly these are hard times. Nobody disputes that. But it's not the worst of times. Uh, for instance, I wouldn't want to have a sit-down talk with Noah and try to suggest to him that the times we live in are worse than the times he lived in, would you? Noah and all the world, only Noah and his family were the only ones that God uh, showed favor upon. We've got it better than that. It may be hard times, but we've got it better than that for sure. It's tough. And living right is a hard thing. Reaching out to others in the world is a difficult thing when the world is so wicked. So again, it's not the worst of all times. We're not the first to face these times, but it is tough times. But it can be done. In 1 Corinthians 6, in the passage that Stephen read for us earlier, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9, says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I want to really draw attention to that. These people in Corinth who were now Christians had been that sort of people. They had been fornicators and idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, and so forth. He says, as such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The conditions in Corinth in that first century time period were very evil. And yet, the gospel had reached the hearts of some of those people and turned them and changed them. And they were living faithfully to the Lord in spite of the tough conditions they were in. Now, what does that tell, tell us today? I don't tell you, the, the community that we live in is not as evil and wicked as Corinth was. If the gospel could reach souls in Corinth, it can reach souls here in Columbia, Tennessee, or any other place where Christians might be. The gospel is still powerful to touch men's lives. And... Even in the presence of a very evil community, people can faithfully serve the Lord. It can be done. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I just want to make a simple observation from that command, love not the world. The very fact that that's commanded of us implies that it can be done. God doesn't expect us to do what's impossible to do. We can live in this world without loving this world. We can live in this world, this hostile world, without being negatively affected by it. We're not the first to face such troubles. Take heart. We can be faithful to God even in a tough place and time. 
Another thing that we could point out is that bad conditions in the world can help us to shine more brightly. Think about that for a minute. A light in a really dark place shines all the brighter. Remember years ago, when our children were still small, on a, on a trip we were making, we passed by Mammoth Cave and we stopped for a tour of Mammoth Cave. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. It's pretty impressive. The kids were still little. In fact, Sarah was just a toddler at the time. And uh, I, I will never forget having to carry her for two or three hours through those tight places, walking through that Mammoth Cave. Any uh, long-term back and shoulder problems that I might experience in my old age are probably related to that day where I thought my shoulder was out of socket for carrying Sarah all through that cave. But one of the things that was really impressive to me, I think probably to everybody who's experienced it, we got into one of the big open caverns there in Mammoth Cave and they turned the lights out. And they, and, and they left them out for a minute or so. I mean, so dark that you, could, you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. Total darkness. And then the tour guide lit a match. Well, the whole place lit up. I mean, it, just showed, it was amazing how much light that one match was giving out in that room full of total darkness. Incredible. Well, if, if it had been another place, that match would have been unnoticeable. But in that total darkness, it was really bright. That's the point I'm trying to illustrate here. We live in a world where the conditions are very bad. But if we shine as lights in the world, we'll shine all the brighter. The contrast is significant. We can do a lot of good if we let our lights shine in this dark place. You know the verse I'm thinking of, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so the bad conditions of this hostile world provide a good opportunity for us to shine and shine more brightly. But there's a caution that has to be added to this observation, and that is we're going to be under even more intense scrutiny, right? When we were in that dark room in that mammoth cave, when that guy struck that match, everybody there was looking at the match amazed at the light it was giving off but we were looking right to that single point when we're in a very dark place we're trying to shine as lights for the lord we're going to be under intense scrutiny by the people that we're trying to influence uh, and if our light flickers or if it dims even momentarily people are going to observe that what i'm saying by that is that if we fail to live up to what we claim and if we allow ourselves even a little bit uh, to practice hypocrisy, the people of the world are going to notice that in us and our influence will be diminished. In Titus chapter 2 verse 10 it says, showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. A couple words there that are worth noting. Notice that we should have good fidelity or faithfulness. We, we have to be faithful and when we do we adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, we make it look good. When we live faithfully, the doctrine of God looks good. But if we're not faithful, then it looks bad. And so these desperate conditions in the world give us a good opportunity to shine, to, to show the glory of God in an evil world. But be careful uh, not to be hypocritical in your, in your claims and practice because people will notice that. 
I think we have to stress, too, that in this very hostile world we live in, it is a time for parents to give added diligence in the matter of training their children, to bring them up, to be faithful to the Lord. Parents, by, by nature, are concerned when their children are in dangerous conditions. If, you're, if, you're, if your child, a young child, for instance, gets near a dangerous piece of equipment, oh, you reach out immediately to bring them back. If our children are in dangerous situations, we do our very best to protect them, make sure they don't get hurt. We make application of that concept to spiritual matters. Our children are in a dangerous situation. This is a hostile world. It's hostile for us, who are adults. It's hostile for our children. Starting at a very young age and especially through their adolescence, this is a dangerous place. Parents, be aware of that and give added diligence to the job that you have to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is a 24-7 kind of responsibility, eyes in the back of your head necessity. You've got to be on your toes constantly. You cannot let your guard down. This is a hostile world. Your children are being brought up in this hostile world. And I want to tell you, most of the people of the world are ignoring these, these realities altogether. Unfortunately, I think some Christians are ignoring these realities too. And, and they're not putting the necessary emphasis on teaching and training their children. We spend, time, we, we spend lots of time and money and effort to be able to let our children be involved in sports. We want to make sure that they get a good education. We want to provide them with all kinds of recreational and entertainment outlets. I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily bad, but what is bad is when we put so much emphasis on those things and neglect what's the most important thing, bringing up our children to love God and to serve Him. We're losing too many young people. I think you could say that as a, as a truism across the board. Uh, among Christians and among the people of God, we're losing too many of our young people. We've got to give added diligence in training our children. Remember what Moses said to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, beginning... These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. As you read that, you teach your children, but do you see he's saying you've got to give constant effort to this. This has got to be something you do all the time. There's not a day that goes by that you don't put emphasis on teaching and training your children. That's what Moses told the children of Israel. And we need that same instruction. Turn off the TV. Shut off the computer and get to work rearing your children. And don't allow these uh, evilly influenced forms of media to be what's raising your children. You raise them. I think as we've said so often, Satan's got to be delighted that he's got a whole vast new array of tools to use to reach people and specifically to reach young people. And he's using those tools quite effectively We've got to be on guard. We've got to give this added diligence to raising our children to know and to love God and to serve Him. One of the things to remember, parents, is that you're going to be accountable in this matter. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we were reading recently in our daily Bible readings from this text. Remember, God held Eli accountable because he hadn't done a good job teaching his children. 1 Samuel 3, beginning verse 11, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house, 
When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Eli, if he was like a lot of parents today, could have said, well, it's not me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, maybe Eli personally was doing the right thing, but he wasn't insisting that his children do the right thing, that he had accommodated their evil, and God was going to hold Eli responsible for that and judge him accordingly. You've got to believe that a lot of parents today are going to be judged harshly in the day of judgment because they have failed to accept the important responsibility of teaching and training their children. Let us give added diligence in this matter. Uh, uh, all of us as parents said we wanted children, and so we got children. And now is the time to do the job of rearing them. If you want children, accept the full responsibility of training them in the right ways. Put forth extra work in these evil times. We could make another observation, and that is that Christians can have an impact on a society. I, I want to stress again, we commented about this a bit already, but even though these are very negative conditions that we live in, uh, uh, it, it might be that you, your reaction would just be to throw up your hands and say, what can we do? There's no good that we can do. We, can't, we just can't make it. We can't reach people. We can't change things. What's the use? And just give up. That's the wrong reaction. Yes, these are bad times, but we can make a difference. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation. That's us, right? That's you and me. Our efforts to live for God can have a distinct and favorable result on the society that we live in. Righteousness can exalt a nation. Let us be that righteous influence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, a familiar statement there is, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Now, those of you who remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was stating that from the negative aspect. They had an evil man in the church there at Corinth, and they had done nothing to discipline him. And Paul's message to them, if you leave that evil influence in the church, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So he was stating it from a neg negative perspective, but it's also, the statement is true from a positive perspective too, right? A good bit of leaven can have a positive influence on a big lump. And so uh, for us, let us be a positive leaven in this evil world that we live in. We can do good. In Genesis chapter 18, do you remember when God revealed to Abraham that he was going to send a very strong punishment against Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, Abraham's nephew, Lot, was there in Sodom. And God revealed to Abraham what he was about to do. And Abraham began immediately to try and negotiate with God to prevent the punishment coming upon that evil city of Sodom. And he started out by saying, well, if you could find 50 righteous people in the city, would you spare the city? And the Lord said, yes. And Abraham continued to negotiate with him. He finally got down to 10. In Genesis 18, verse 23 through 30, he won't read all that. But Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he negotiated all the way from 50 down to 10. He said, Peraventure, uh, the Lord said, Peraventure, 10 be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. So even if there had just been 10 righteous people in Sodom, the Lord would have spared that city. Of course, there weren't even ten. Uh, the only ones that got out were Lot and his wife 
and their two daughters, and even Lot's wife didn't survive the whole ordeal, and his daughters ended up to be evil people as well. And so the whole thing was just a disaster. But the point we're making from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is that just ten righteous people in that very wicked city would have prevented the Lord from sending that judgment. A little can do a lot of good. That's our point. And so as Christians, we can have an impact on this evil world that we live in, and we need to remember that, and we need to do all that we can to influence for good. I would end with this observation, that there's reason for us to have faith and hope and optimism as we face the future. Uh, I, I've got to acknowledge that this has been a rather negatively inclined lesson, and the potential that you could leave here feeling bad when we talk about all the trouble that is in the world around us. That, it's a negative thing to think about for sure. But let us end by emphasizing some positive concepts. You know, we said earlier that Satan has lots of new tools at his disposal to use to cause people to sin. There's no doubt about that. But you know what? As the people of God, we've got a lot of new tools too to use to his glory, to reach out and teach the lost, to support the weak, to encourage all to be faithful to God. We, we've got a lot of new tools at our disposal as well. Uh, for instance, we could talk about the, the rapid explosion of technological advances that have made possible uh, things to use in serving God that weren't available just a generation or two ago. I mean, uh, some of these things are, uh, are so common to us. They've been around uh, for most of our lifetimes. I mean, uh, we've all known radio and TV forever, right? But still, those are powerful tools to use. But when you think about some of the new technologies that are out there, when you think about the Internet, for instance, and the capacity that it has for doing good, not just on a, a an organized scale, maybe something like we do with the virtual Bible study, but even individually. You know, I can reach out and communicate with people uh, just quickly, almost instantaneously. I can send a message to someone. I can send an email message, I can send a text message, I can be in touch with people in simple ways that weren't available just a very few years ago. We ought to use those kind of things to help us in doing good for God. We can travel so easily. We can reach distant destinations in a matter of a few hours. You can be to the other side of the world uh, you know, in a few hours. What would the Apostle Paul have been able to accomplish if he could have traveled as efficiently as we can travel? These are, these are advantages that we have that are new and are beneficial to the work that we need to do. And even the point of language. You know, we, we, we live in a time, uh, it's the first time in almost 2,000 years where there's a nearly universal language and it's ours, English. And people everywhere want to speak English and we can reach out to them using our language to teach them uh, the truth about God. And so what we're saying here, is, and, and there's lots that could be said, but there's reason, even though times are tough, there's reasons for us to have faith and hope and optimism. Now the question is, will we be wise enough to use those kinds of advantages? In Luke chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus told the parable of the unjust steward. Uh, it's, it's one of the more difficult parables of Jesus to understand. I think the understanding of it is simply in this statement that he makes at the end. The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. His point was, 
people who are inclined to do evil will use every technique and tactic they can lay their hands on to get done what they want to do. In other words, in pursuit of their objectives, they are often wiser than we are in the pursuit of our objectives. They have an agenda. they got things they're trying to get done, and they work hard at it. Let us be as wise in pursuing the agenda of righteousness and serving God. Let us not let the world outdo us in regards to commitment, dedication, uh, in pursuing what is important to us. Uh, and so we can have hope and optimism, but we need to be busy working to accomplish good for God's glory. We live in a, in a hostile world. There's just no doubt about that. Uh, I, I, I don't expect anyone to argue that point. All who are trying to serve God realize this is a hostile world, but we're not the first people who ever faced challenges in the world, and we won't be the last as long as time continues. There'll be those uh, who are trying to live right in bad circumstances. We're in that situation now, but we can shine brightly. We can bring glory to God. We've got to teach our children. We've got to work hard to impact our society. We need to be wise in using every opportunity we have to do good. Appreciate your good attention to what we've had to say this morning and hope it's been helpful and that we can be encouraged to stay committed to God and doing His will. It may be, though, that there's a Christian in our assembly this morning who feels you've not been doing well in the regards to the things that we talked about this morning. Maybe you've let down, and as a child of God, you've not been faithful. If that's the case, come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. He's willing to... to Forgive freely and restore you to a right relationship with him. Nothing is more important than that. If you're a Christian, you've not been faithful. We beg you to come back to him. If you're not yet a Christian, by all means, make that decision to obey the simple gospel plan of salvation. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Take up our